Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello there, and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. I'll bet a lot of you listeners uh, are doing similar things, getting together as families for the 4th of July or for the weekend or for a reunion or whatever. Summers are a great time, and boy, for us, this is our last quiet day of peacefulness, just being together, the two of us. Tomorrow, all heck will break loose. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have kids arriving from Switzerland. We'll have them arriving from Hawaii. We'll have them arriving all over the place, converging on this little, little lake in Idaho, converging on Bear Lake. It is really, um, we're stirring the pot this week. We have a daughter, Charity, some of you may know, our youngest daughter, and her husband, Ian, who just left their flat in London for the last time after six years living in London. And it was not easy with a four-year-old, three-year-old both throwing up, and two twins, uh, twin babies. Oh, we've been thinking Eight so much old. about them. They've, they they started off their their married life in London, and they like you say, Linda, they've been there for six years. And what a six years it's been! Four children have arrived. Um, they've had a wonderful time. They're really not at all sure they're doing the right thing by leaving. <laughs> our charity, our our youngest daughter's kind of a. Do we dare say a drama queen? <laughs> uh, yes, I think we dare say that. And she is so worried that they're leaving paradise. They just love London. But how could you get better than Provo, Utah? <laughs> I know. It's true. He's going to be teaching at BYU. And I, I think they're going to have a fabulous time. I it will do definitely too. be a different lifestyle. They're sure going to be closer to us, which is great. There's kind of a little gathering going on in the Iyer family. A year ago, two years ago, we only had one of our nine living in Utah. Now we'll have four and maybe five. We're, there's another yes. son considering moving back. We're not necessarily encouraging that. We don't have any more outposts around the world. <laughs> <laughs> We're really sad. There's nobody to visit when we travel abroad, but it's oh, but Talon and each will always be there. I think they're in, we think Switzerland. They're in Switzerland. That'll last. Forever, which is a great place to visit. But Linda, what do you look forward to most in a family reunion? We're going to have 54 of us gathered here for a week, and some will stay for most of the month. And what do you look forward to most, and what do you, uh, what do you dread? <laughs> Well, we're packing in food. We just put a ton of food in the freezer. Just basics that everybody uses. And then they do the meals. So don't worry. I'm not, I'm still going to be alive at the end of this. Um, <laughs> they are doing all, everything they need for their meal, but we're just doing basics. And um, it is going to be so fascinating this week because we have two baptisms. We have a little... Uh, granddaughter uh, who was turned eight last year but couldn't come because of COVID. So she's been waiting a whole year to be baptized with her cousin. And they are going to be baptized in the lake. So the one lake. of these little girls is lives in, in Zurich, near Zurich in Switzerland. And the other one lived, uh, lived until recently in Maui in Hawaii. And they love each other even though they lived half a world away. Like literally 12 hours difference in time. But now they're coming together in 
Bear Lake, Idaho, to be baptized in the lake, and it'll be quite a scene. So you'll be hearing a bit about that next week. But we also have a wedding. We also have a wedding three days later, and you'll be hearing more about that too on the ninth. Um, a rehearsal dinner on the eighth. Um, we are going to have 150 people on site here. I think we'll have about 80 people sleeping somewhere <laughs> in <laughs> on tents, the ground, on the beach, on the beach. <laughs> everywhere the night before so it's going to be so fun we are but, very but think about it honey we'll we'll have you know the two baptisms and the wedding and then the reunion starts the next morning how are we going to feel a week from now exhausted i'm feeling a little overwhelmed just thinking about it but luckily everybody's helping everybody's doing their part and it'll make it it'll make it so fun so what do you look forward to most and what do you dread most <laughs> Back to the question. Oh, of course, I look forward to just having everybody together. I mean, we have a daughter who's in the Netherlands doing an internship, and one that's on a little a mission. granddaughter, yeah, a granddaughter, and one on a mission. They're and the only one, two we won't have. No, and then one working in oh, North that's Carolina. Right. So he he's, he's coming, coming for the wedding, but then yeah. he's leaving. Oh. So anyway, uh, there's always those as teenagers get jobs and so on. It gets harder and harder to get everybody together. But it was going to be so great for the moment when. Most of us will be together. And then the thing I dread the most is uh, the end, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> there are a lot of things to well, worry about. We, we always become aware during reunions of some issues that we didn't know existed, right? I mean, it's not all sunshine and roses. There's always some relationships right, sure. that are harder than others. And, and when you're together for a long period of time, you you realize both the, the intensity of the joy and some of the worries kind of come to the forefront, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's true. It's not all, I mean, obviously it's, it's beautiful to have everybody here, but, and luckily our kids all get along with each other, which is, and they love For the most part, that's right. I mean, you know, we don't want to portray some false picture of perfection, but that's, what families are about is reality and getting together and, and you know, the realness of relationships, which is important. And we, we just want everyone to know that in our family, like in your family, it's what matters most. And so when you're together, it just feels like you're doing the right yeah. thing. I know reunions are really hard for a lot of people because there are some rifts and some things that are so difficult, and that really is hard. When I was working on the grandmothering book, I researched reunions, and it's really funny. I mean, there were some kind of funny things like, you know, in your family tree, there's always a, a nut or two that uh, in the bushes. And that's true. I mean, <laughs> in the leaves, and uh, <clears throat> and everybody has their challenges with family situations that are going on. But it is such a good time to heal some of those and to work through it. And so, we're well to said, well said, Linda. Well, our theme for today on the show is really an interesting one. Uh, we're going to work off of an article that was just published in Meridian Magazine, which has. An intriguing title, although they changed it a little in the magazine, but the original title is The Parental God, The Married God, both with periods behind them, and then The Sovereign God. In other words, how, how do you think about your belief in God? How do you 
think about the God that you believe in. And we're going to give you a couple of thoughts that may be stimulating, but we're going to start with a kind of a transition into, you know, from the family things we've been talking about to the idea of thinking about God. And let us just read you a couple of paragraphs to get into this, and you'll see where we're going with some of this thought. When asked to name our most valued and most important relationships, it's common to say, with my spouse, with my children, and with God. And the more we think about these relationships and the more conscious we are of them and of their importance, the more we work on them and the better they tend to become. One way to think about these relationships is in the context of within the example of our heavenly parents, learning all we can about them and pondering what we know of their relationship and of the love and model they provide us can be enlightening as as we prioritize and pursue each of the key relationships in our own lives. So while we can't compare our very imperfect relationships with God's perfect ones, we can learn much that will benefit our parenting if we ponder the parental God. Much that will benefit our marriages as we ponder the married God. And much that will benefit our faith as we ponder what we know of the nature and the glory and the love of God. So this series we've been writing in Meridian Magazine uh, essentially takes the theme that people who perceive God as a parent, as a heavenly father, and in our case, believing in also a heavenly mother, heavenly parents, that gives a very different feeling about God and about prayer and about worship and a, a number of other things than if, than if your whole thought is the sovereign God or the king or the powerful or the creator or the, the, the majesty of God. But we felt like it was important to make clear that, that our, in our belief, God is both. Now let's just read you another little paragraph. We need to remember that our heavenly father is also a sovereign God. He is the king of heaven and earth. His church is called the kingdom of God on earth. And his abode, where we hope to regain his presence, is called the kingdom of God, of heaven. He created the universe and reigns in glory and sublime power. And kingdom, quote unquote, is gender inclusive, meaning a kingdom and a queendom in a neutral form of language. God is often called king in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven. The Gospels of Mark and Luke talk of the kingdom of God, and Paul speaks of the kingdom of the Lord in the Book of Mormon. King Benjamin oh, counsels period. his people. Paul speaks of the kingdom of the Lord. Oh, yes. So King Benjamin counsels his people to serve their heavenly king. So... I guess what we're saying is, in your own mind, as you think about your belief in God or in a supreme being, are those two things compatible? Can God be a parental God and also a sovereign God? And we think that that is possible. We think it's important to understand and to have awe for our Heavenly Father and for God to think of him in a way as a king. Although, here's the caveat. Um, when, when the Bible was written and when many of our ancient scriptures were written, 
the, the, the metaphor of a king was sort of the greatest sign of respect that people could think of because they lived in a, in a time of kings. And so it was natural to say, well, God must be the king of kings. But I, but I don't think we want to overplay that description of God because sometimes that might imply that God is more concerned with his power than he is with his children or that we should bow right. and scrape or, yeah. or that he needs us to in some way um, honor his, his kingship. And and that 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 begins well, to detract. We yeah, but yeah. it begin it can begin to detract from the the personal parental nature, and and we hope that all of us in our prayers think of praying to a parent rather than praying to a king. It makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, it does. And well, but we do think him as as a king. I mean, that was their only frame of reference. Right, when the, right. When these scriptures were written, there was a king, there was a sovereign, there was a, a ruler that ruled over people and and hopefully were wise and good and not, and they were both kinds, I'm sure, not vindictive and so on. But um, king connotates a lot of different things to different people. Right. When you use that word. But the thing, the thing we're into, the thing we're really thinking about as we started off with what we said at the beginning of the show is how can faith in a parental God and heavenly parents, how can it impact us in terms of our parenting and our marriages? What can we learn from the divine example that impacts the way we treat each other and our marriages and the way we treat our children? Right, so the second half of that is something we're going to dive into. And so we hope you'll hang on for a minute. We will be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about a lot today. We, we're so glad that you joined us, and we hope that you're hanging in because... Um, we have been really fascinated with this subject. We've talked about it a lot uh, as you've been writing these these articles from Meridian Magazine. And there's so much to think about. It, it, it helps you think deeper than you would normally. So so let's let's do what we said we would at the end of that first half of the show. Let's let's and this is a little pretentious because no one knows the details of God. We can't even fully comprehend God, of course, but what can we learn that we can apply in our own families, in our marriages, and in our parenting from what we know of God? And and again, let us just uh, kind of get into that by reading in one little paragraph here. Um, so Richard and I have been joking with our children that our form of family government was a, quote-unquote, benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> that made us feel kind of good. Uh, but now that we think about it, that thought evolved gradually. And early on, with only two or three small children, we felt like we wanted a family democracy, where we had an equal, everybody had an equal say in everything. But once the kids had the majority, we quickly changed our tune and reminded <laughs> them that we were the parents. And while we welcomed and appreciated their input, we would make the decisions. Indeed, a kind of benevolent dictatorship. 
The problem was, of course, that we often were neither very benevolent or very good <laughs> dictators. And they soon grew old enough and wise enough that the democracy idea quickly reemerged. Yeah. So I think that is really true. I mean, we did think, well, you know, we've got some <laughs> little kids here. They've got to mind us. They've got to do exactly what we tell them. Yeah. And then we evolved through. So you could think of God's government, our heavenly parents, as the perfect benevolent dictatorship. But that description really doesn't work because we believe that God, that our heavenly parents, recognize and respect and always have the agency of their children. In other words, God gives us commandments, or you could think of it as loving counsel from a wise father, but he doesn't dictate that we obey them. He gives us a plan of happiness, but he, it is we who have to decide whether we'll follow it. He gives us covenants and, and traditions and things we do within the church, but it is we who have to decide whether we'll stay on that covenant path. So it's just an interesting thing to think about and putting our best efforts into trying in our imperfect and mortal way to follow the way God gives us an example is, is, is what we try to do. And so um, let's think about that and let's, let's also, maybe even first, Linda, let's focus on on marriage because we really believe this is a hallmark of our unique belief within our church that our heavenly parents are married and, and want us to have the blessings of marriages that become synergistic and that become parental and that become part of this plan of his children, God's children, coming to this earth and growing and progressing here and then returning back to him. But however you think about it, marriage becomes a very, very important thing. And if you, if you contemplate, you know, this is something we've thought a lot about over the years, and I'm sure a lot of you listeners have, that... Um, you know, in our church, we actually believe families are forever. We actually believe marriages last beyond death. And in our marriage ceremonies, in our temples, the words are not, till death do you part. The words are, for time and for all eternity. That's quite a thing to think about. And so the question is, how do families last forever? In other words, and, and you know, and I hasten to say, even though that's an official part of our church doctrine, as we travel throughout the world and as we talk to people of all different faiths and, and different religions and different persuasions, including Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and so on, don't you think it's fair to say, Linda, that most people, when they contemplate heaven, when they think, what will life be like on the other side, they believe they'll be with their loved ones. Yes, that, that, yes. That's what heaven is to, to people in a natural way of thinking. We hear people all the time, and so do you, I'm sure, when, when you go to a funeral, whether they're members of the church or not, or whether they're Christians or not, they, they talk about seeing them again, <clears throat> being right. with them again. And I think sometimes we get a little caught up with the eternity thing in the church because people think marriage maybe is something of a quantity of eternity you know, forever we're going to be together. But 
what we need to think a little more about is the quality. The quality, because the, the quality, quantity, you, you wouldn't even want the quantity if the quality wasn't there. You wouldn't yeah. want to be with someone that you didn't really love Yeah, we have about. kids who, who taught a lot of people as missionaries about, you can be with your spouse forever. And they were like, <laughs> bye, I don't want to hear about this. No, I thanks. do not want I'm that. having a hard enough time here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But think about how... How interesting it is when when you think about uh, the other side and life after death and however you perceive it to be, and if you think, well, I want to be with those I love, I want to be with my spouse and with my children. Of course, the issue is children won't be children anymore. I mean, you know, who are you really with in the hereafter? And and that's a hard thing for our finite minds to grapple with. But you know, if you're with your children. Presumably, they won't be children anymore. You, you, you may still have a special relationship with them that they'll be mature spirits like you are, and they'll have their children, and their children will have their children, and so on. And none of them will be children. So how does that all work? And we don't know, but one thing we do know is that that sort of prioritizes the marriage relationship because the person you'll really be with in the same way you are now, but hopefully on a heightened level, will be your spouse. Right. And so we're always preaching. I mean, I sh hopefully we don't sound like we're preaching, but we're always suggesting that marriaging is more important than parenting because marriaging, and we like to make it a verb, so it's something you're working on and, and whatnot. That's what really lasts forever if you believe that that marriage will go for time and all eternity. Right. And so that it makes it even more important to make it as good as you can while you're here. I mean, everybody has struggles with marriage. Maybe not everybody. There are some people that are really very so compatible they just don't argue and um, they just kind of go along together and boring, I, know what, boring. I know what your comment about <laughs> that is. But um but I think it's really in fact the as as our kids get into their marriages more and more we're realizing how important um, talking to each other about your marriage, but also a therapist, people who can help, um, it becomes. And we have one of our couples, like, like we are just saying last week, you know, therapy is probably the best investment you can possibly make in a marriage because you have an outside person who's trying to help you. And obviously every all therapists are not the best, but but eventually you find somebody that really can help you, can open the windows to, especially when you've been married for a while, to what is needed by each of the spouses. We really believe in, in therapy. Well, and in working on relationships. I mean, we, we've it, always yeah. thought how interesting it is that when... When people, we, oftentimes in our seminars or our speeches, we'll, we'll ask people to list their three most important goals for the year or whatever. And it's always interesting that the goals that people write down or that they think of or that they, that they answer our question with, they're all about achievements. I want to get to this level in the company or I want to earn this amount of money or I want to travel to these countries or whatever. And those are those are fine. Those are, are good goals, but it's it's unfortunate that we don't think enough about relationship goals. Like 
working at improving our relationships because all of us when we really think about it know that relationships matter more than achievements relationships presumably in the context we're talking about today relationships are the thing you can take with you the old phrase you can't take it with you you can't take your money you can't take your boat you can't take your accomplishments but you can take your relationships so to work on those and to never give up and to never and to think of it as a long-term thing right Linda I mean if you're having a time in your marriage right now or your one of your relationships with one of your kids is really rocky and you can't even imagine how you'll ever repair it just remember life is long and eternity is even longer and and the bottom line is never giving up right if we give up on a relationship that's the way it ends but if we never give up on it, we'll have our ups and downs, but we can we can say, well, over the long term, I'm going to make this better. Well, in some cases, we realize we're speaking well, to a of lot of course single parents yeah, that's right. who have gone as far as they can go, and it has not worked. And, and you know, that is... And there are some marriages that should have never happened. Yeah, that's right, for sure. But by and large, if you can find some hope, and if you can realize that you can continue to work on it, and if you can say to, to God, to our Heavenly Father, as a father, help me to be a better father. As, a, as, as our Heavenly Parents, help us to have a better relationship. And you work on it and you strive for it. That's the key to life. That's the, that's the core of life. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, we all go through ups and downs in marriage as far as how we're feeling about each other or what we're currently arguing about. Um, I think everyone basically uh, does that. And I think it is important, it's an important part of a relationship is having the ups and downs and having things that, that you are needing to work through, that you need to talk about, that you need to resolve. Let us read you the conclusion of this latest article in Meridian Magazine and then, and then talk about it in today. In this frantic world where achievements are so valued, we lose sight of the fact that it is our relationship, relationships, not our matter most, and that will carry forward to the next life. It is these relationships that our parental God put us on earth to develop. And it is their example that we can look to and try to follow. And it's our relationship with them, to God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, that can draw us ever closer to where they are and to who they are. So we're going to read you a few just little couplets here. But what an incredible blessing to know the parental nature of God. Because that knowledge can guide us in each of the three relationships discussed in the first paragraph of this article. Our relationship with God, our heavenly parents. The question is, can we balance and blend the awe of worship with the intimacy of the familial? Of the familial? Good question. Here's another one. Our relationship with their children. With our children who are also their children. Right. Can we balance and blend our stewardship for them as our kids with our respect for them as brothers and sisters? See how this is all a question of balance. Our, and in terms of our relationship with our 
spouse, with the, our wife or husband, can we balance and blend our united oneness with the synergy of our individual separateness? These are I, all these are all balancing acts. They are, and that could be a whole radio show. Absolutely, that's really really a hard one. So here's what it gets down to: on what will we ultimately be judged? Question mark on our partnership and on our stewardship. Well, and also our goodness, our own soul. Right. Too. I mean, it's not all just about that. Right. What is our partnership? It is the masculine and slash feminine perfectible entity emerging from the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And what is our stewardship? The main one is our children, our grandchildren, and our posterity. What can we learn from our parental God about partnership and stewardship? Question. Everything is the answer. Everything. Well, except that we don't really know a lot. We just about try their to. We try to understand their we individual personalities. So, but we have to realize it at work for us, and somehow we've got to try to emulate that to make it work for them, yeah. for us. Well, so circling back and kind of ending where we began, um, here we are, Linda. We're starting off. Reunion this week. We're going to be with these children who we love so much, these grandchildren who are so, so precious to us. We're going to realize we're all imperfect. We're going to realize they're imperfect. We're going to realize that we have so much to learn and there's so much we don't know that we wish we did know. But we're also hopefully going to have some prayers together as a family. We're going to think hard about what our faith teaches us to do in terms of our children and we're just going to keep working at it and trying to be the best grandparents we can be and the best parents we can be and we're going to trust that god will help us and that we're going to gradually improve and we wish the same for you <laughs> good luck because a lot of you are probably doing just the same thing and or will be so thank you for being wonderful parents partners and grandparents as we part until next week with Ayers on the Road. And please visit Meridian Magazine if you want to read these articles. Visit us at Instagram where we do a little meditation every week on trying to be a little more like Jesus and to understand a little better. It's just Linda Iyer all strung together on Instagram. And when we talk next week, Linda... We'll have some interesting we'll have some things, things to, to report on how this reunion went. And we'll try to give it to you straight, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, we'll, we will have just started next week, you realize. We'll do the baptisms. And oh, that's true. Week. That's true. We'll have the baptisms so, yeah. and marriages We'll give you an we'll update on that. starting the reunion. So stay with us. Uh, we'll hope to see you again next time on Irish on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.